as I'm sure you've noticed and experienced as I have, there seems to be division everywhere. And it doesn't matter what you're talking about or, or who you're with, it's just easy to get on this role of talking about things being divided, people being divided on issues, uh, social, economic, political, health. It, it doesn't matter where we go in conversation, in re even relationship with people, there seems to be different divides. And, and we've actually started to embrace that, I think, as a culture. We've embraced uh, cancel culture. We've embraced the fact that, that we're going to stand on certain issues and not see across the divide. And this has led to all sorts of conflict. I mean, whether it is that cancel culture, or internet trolling, whether it's, it's family fights or even citywide riots or international conflict, we've become a world that is divided. And as we've started to embrace the divides, we've sort of begun to change how we view our identity. We've started to say, you can know who I am because I stand for this issue. I stand in this way and I hate that thing. It seems like when you're trying to find someone to be a friend with or to socialize with at work, it's easier to identify that person you're going to get along with by the fact that you both hate the same things. It's easier to do that than it is to find people who stand for all the same issues or who like the same things. And so our identities have actually started to be formed around divisions, not around what unites us. And as we've started to embrace those divisions, we've also started to multiply our enemies. Our enemies are really just anyone who stands on the other side of the divide. Those people who stand for that issue that we stand against. Those people who embrace a certain way of living that we don't accept. We also have enemies, of course, through relationships with people and those people who hurt us or those people who have done certain things to certain people we love. We begin to see them as our enemy. Now, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure out who our enemies are. Chances are you probably already have a few people flowing through your mind who you can think of standing against but while it doesn't take a lot to figure out who they are, it takes a lot of wisdom and knowledge to figure out how are we going to deal with them. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Today we're going to be looking at a passage of scripture which deals with how we're supposed to treat our enemies. What are we supposed to do? How do we engage with them or not engage with them? This comes up in a section that we're continuing through, which is found in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. Here in chapter 5, we've been looking at what it looks like to interact with people in some difficult situations. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Dennis shared with us the, the starting point for this, which had to do with the famous saying that we all know, which is, turn the other cheek. So let's take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48, and see what Jesus has to say about loving our enemies. He says this, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. 
He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And, and let's remember, tax collectors are people who are really hated in Jesus' day and age. It says they're even doing that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? And so Jesus finishes by saying, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. As we encounter these teachings of Jesus, whether it's turn the other cheek or here where he says, love your enemies, I think there's sort of a couple default modes that we might lean towards that, that, that go on being unhelpful if they're left unchecked. Our first response when we hear this teaching of Jesus or when we hear him say, hey, if you get slapped on one side of your face, turn to your enemy the other. If you get forced to walk one mile, go a second just to do that for your enemy. I think when we hear that, one of the first responses is just like, man, Jesus, you don't get it. Like, that's dumb. Do, do you understand who my enemy is? The people I stand against are actually evil. They're, they're, they're doing wrong. What, what Jesus is saying then is, is ignorant, we say. The other unhelpful perspective, maybe if that's not where we go, is to look at this as a legalistic set of requirements where it's just Jesus continuing on this teaching of, here's what's right, here's what's wrong, do that and one day you'll get into heaven. We end up treating the teachings of Jesus as something that's just a list of right and wrongs for ourselves. And as we look at either of those ways to perceive what Jesus is teaching, we, we realize we really miss out on the mark. Jesus didn't come and, and teach in a way that was ignorant and that denied the truth of what we experience in the world. And he didn't come just to set up some moral code. Yes, he gave us good ways of living and he indicated ways that would be harmful to us. But in all of this, what Jesus actually came to teach is about the fullness of life that could be experienced by following in the ways that he has lived. By, by living in the experience that God wants us to have. And so when Jesus comes and he talks about loving our enemy, he wants us to see that there's more to be had by loving them than by hating them. Now, I don't know about you, but when I hear the idea that he talks about where he says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor. I have no problem with that. I love my neighbors. I got great neighbors who live around me. Uh, we have a grandma and granddaughter who live to one side of us, great neighbors. We've got really close friends who live a couple houses down, and, and our kids get together and, and are able to play, and we socialize all the time. We have a complex full of, of good people who we like to socialize with as you drop off the garbage and take out the recycling. And so for me, it's, it's not that hard to get behind the idea of loving my neighbor because I've got good neighbors. But what really challenges me is when Jesus takes it that step further and says, and love your enemies. I like the idea of loving my neighbor because I like being able to define who my neighbor is. As well as being able to define my neighbor, though, I'm also able to define my enemy. And I don't consider my enemy 
my neighbor naturally. It's just not something that comes to mind. I like to separate the two. I like to create a division there. And so when Jesus comes along and he says, I want you to love your enemy, I I don't really like it. I don't like when someone tells me what to do. I don't really like when someone tells me to forgive someone when they don't know all the details. If someone came up to you and was like, I want you to go on and and love that person, and and you looked at that person and saw it with someone who you really have an issue with, maybe someone who hurt you, you're probably going to sit there and go, but you don't know what they did. You don't know what they stand for. And so when we come with that, that heart posture, when we come with that attitude, it's really easy for us to come and be like, Jesus, you just, you don't know what you're talking about. You're not, you haven't walked a mile in my shoes. You haven't experienced those people the way I have. Unfortunately, though, when we do that, what we do is we, we treat Jesus as this two-dimensional character in a story instead of understanding the fullness of who he is as a person and who he is as God. Jesus knew exactly what it was like to live with enemies. In Jesus' time, as he lived on the earth, we know that he had all sorts of enemies, The Pharisees, the the religious rulers in the Jewish culture, challenged Jesus constantly. They saw him and his way of living and what he taught as an affront to them and how they wanted to live. And so they went after him. And in fact, they, they went after him so much that they eventually ended up having him killed. And not only did they go after Jesus, but they went after his followers as well. Jesus' followers experienced a lot of persecution for following in the ways of Jesus. The Jewish leaders would set up people who would go and imprison Jesus' followers, who would go and have them murdered because of their beliefs. But not only did Jesus and his followers face the Jewish leaders, they also faced the Roman rulers. The Roman authorities were governing at the time, and and it was their desire to seek the expansion of their kingdom— Caesar, as emperor, wanted everyone to see him as the ruling authority in the world, and they wanted to worship all the people to worship him as a god. Well, along comes Jesus, and he says, no way, man. There's only one god, and there's only one way to him. And so there, Jesus and his followers set themselves up and against the ruling authorities in their culture because they stood for something else. Jesus knew what it meant to have enemies. In fact, even all of those who would become Jesus' followers started as his enemies. You know, as Christians, we, we love John three sixteen, don't we? We love this verse in the Bible where it says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And it's, it is a great passage. It's one that I love to, to have memorized. And it's a great reminder of the character of God for his love. But as we've focused on that passage so much, we've often ended up losing sight of the character of the world that God came to love. We love God, but what does it mean for God to love the world? Well, if you were to look through the Bible and study scripture, you would actually see that the world God came to love was full of his enemies. And the teaching of scripture actually tells us that before we were saved by faith, we stood against God. 
In Colossians 1.21, it says, Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. In Romans 5.10, For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? The Bible teaches us that all people stand against God, and it is only through Jesus that we become reconciled to him. When Jesus teaches about loving our enemy, he intimately knows what that looks like. He has carried the weight of all of our rebellion. He has experienced all the vile things that have been said about him. He's experienced all the terrible things that we've done as we've rebelled against him. How, how we've thought and, and acted and had attitudes that are just downright evil. Every single one of us. And he's experienced all of that and he's taken taken that all on on the cross. When Jesus says, love your enemies, he doesn't speak of a pl- from a place of ignorance. He speaks from a place of understanding just how difficult it might be. Because we were enemies and now have come to faith in Jesus, Jesus wants us to respond in a certain way. As followers of Jesus, when we are saved by him, we aren't just saved for a relationship, but we're also saved for a purpose in that relationship. And that purpose is to continue sharing the message of who Jesus is. In verse 45, we read that we are to love those who are enemies because that is how we become children of the Father in heaven. A parent and child represent each other. When you look at a child, you so often are able to be like, wow, I can see mom in this way and, and dad in that way. And in this way, what Jesus says is, I, by loving your enemy, you begin to look like the Father in heaven. In verse 48, Jesus goes on and says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. When Jesus calls us, To to love our enemies, he actually calls us to identify with God, to experience him more, to to begin to see more about the nature and character of God. I love the way Martin Luther King Jr. goes on to give some insight into this. He says, we must love our enemies because only by loving them can we actually know God and experience the beauty of his holiness. I think that's, that's such a powerful message for us to consider. If we're fully going to understand who God is, if we can fully understand what it meant for him to love us, we too have to begin the process and struggle through what it means to forgive and love an enemy because that's what God has done. Jesus doesn't invite us into something in isolation that he's never experienced, but he invites us in to what he has experienced and to participate in a way of living in the way that he lives. L. Gregory Jones, in his book, Embodying Forgiveness, writes this. He says, The call to love our enemies is difficult. It compels us to face the truth about others and yet to struggle to love them but we're called to do so precisely because of the horizon of our life. The call to embody forgiveness is so much broader than simply the absolution of an individual's guilt. 
set in the context of a lifelong commitment to healing the brokenness of our relationships, to learning to live in communion with God, with one another, and with the whole of creation. The call to love our enemies is a call to faithful witness to the God who refused and refuses to abandon humanity as enemies, but sought and seeks to transform us into friends. So God seeks to to not abandon us, but to embrace us. And so he invites us into this beautiful relationship that he has with us by us inviting others into the same thing. When we think about the why behind what Jesus is teaching, the why we love our enemies is because Jesus first loved us. And we are now invited to be faithful to the fact that God embraces enemies and loves those who persecute him. This is what we are called to live for, to point people towards God, to allow him to experience all the praise and honor that he deserves for who he is by living a life in the way of Jesus. Now, I know as we wrestle through this, there's all sorts of arguments that arise up in us. I mean, I've, I've faced some of these arguments, and one of them is, is just the simple fact of then, what do we do with our hurt and our anger? What do we do with this, this sense of needing justice? Because you know what? I believe our, our, our feelings are, are, are valid and that God has given us the, the capability to, to feel certain ways. I believe that God built into each one of us, us a sense of justice. The problem is that our society, our culture, the world has, has taught us to take those feelings, to take that sense of justice and bend it to the way the world desires it. But what God wants us to do is to redeem those feelings, to, to, to take that sense of justice and point it in the direction that he wants us to go. When we experience anger, I believe that we are experiencing an emotion that leads us towards understanding the value of people. When we see someone perpetrate wrong, what rises up in us is an anger because we identify, whether consciously or subconsciously, that that person does not deserve that, whatever that may be. When we have a sense of justice, what has rose up in us is this understanding that there is truth about what is right and what is evil, and we seek to see the wrong made right. One of the biggest condemnations that I've heard for Christianity is that Christians are spineless and weak. Frederick Nietzsche goes on and actually says that this is one of the most fundamental problems with Christianity. He says, what we have as a sense of of forgiveness and love isn't truly an authentic virtue. He says, it's just a way to perpetrate and continue on experiencing suffering. But I think what happens there is is a misguided notion. And, and, And it comes from the fact that sometimes I don't think The church has always dealt with this issue well. I think sometimes the church has said, you know what, as we turn the other cheek, as we go to love our enemies, experiencing any type of of anger or emotion in that is unchristian. And whether that's been taught outright or that's just been what's interpreted, I think that's something that's gone on and it's caused us to, to, to 
neglect and, and, and avoid certain issues and certain feelings. But I don't think that's what Jesus is actually asking us to do. In fact, out of that infinite wisdom and out of hardwiring us with those emotions, I think God wants us to orient things towards him. God is a God of justice. The reason that we have that sense of justice is because God wants us to look to him for his wisdom and knowledge for how to move forward. God, in his wisdom and in his goodness, actually set up a system in which those who would rebel against what is right would face consequences. Scripture tells us, the Bible tells us, God's word says that when we sin, when we rebel against the ways of God, there's a penalty. And that penalty is death and an eternal separation from a good and loving God. Now as we think about that in light of this idea to love our enemies, that has also raised up another good objection. That objection is this, that if there is the existence of hell, does that not mean that there are some people who are unlovable and unforgivable? If there is this cosmic organization that says that there's a heaven and a hell, doesn't that mean that there is good people and bad people? It's a great question that we need to wrestle with. But what I think is very important is for us to understand what happens as God saves us from our sin. What happens in the situation of there being heaven and hell? What we can do as we, we study God's word is we can see that hell is a very real place. And it is a place where people go for the consequence of their sin and rebellion. But what we learn about and we'll look at later on as we continue studying the book of Matthew or if you were to flip over to James chapter 2, we would see that God also tells us that we as people are accountable for our choices and for our actions. If we choose to sin, if we choose to rebel against God, we choose to go away from him. We choose to experience the consequence for the actions we commit. Matthew will go on to teach us as he looks at, at the teachings of Jesus to tell us that there is a, a, what he calls an outer darkness, a place that is without God, which is not good, which is not holy. And that is where we throw ourselves and that it's Jesus who comes to save us from that place. It's Jesus who came to die for his enemy. We throw ourselves there, but Jesus makes the way out. When we consider these issues of justice, when we consider the, the, the whole theology, the, the thinking behind hell, what we have to make sure is that we rightly frame those issues in the greater context as God gave us these emotions and the desire for justice, he also gave us the teaching that tells us to love our enemies. As God tells us what's right and wrong, he also sets himself up as judge, not us. So that it's not our call who is right and who's wrong, who deserves to be loved and who doesn't. He says, no, I desire for all of you to love everyone. We simply don't have the capability to know who and when God 
will save people. You might genuinely desire to see the wrong in people and you might desire to see them thrown into the pit of hell. But God says in doing so, you do the very thing that you condemn them for. You transgress against what he wants from you. So Jesus invites us to something else. And in fact, I believe it frees us. I believe it frees us from the weight and the frustration of, of what it means to judge people and to condemn people. It, it frees us from having to, to have some moralistic authority over others. And instead, Jesus invites us simply to trust in him, to, to trust in the God of the universe, to sort what is right and wrong. And he simply invites us to experience him as we go on to love others. Now, let's be honest, this isn't easy. It's not something that we all just naturally can click over into and say, you know what, I'm done with, with hating people. I'm done with division. It is going to be difficult for us to press against it. Jesus did not promise his followers that the good way would always be the easy way. He calls us towards his kingdom, which is a countercultural kingdom that, to the one we live in. Our world tells us that anger and division, that revenge is a good thing, but Jesus says, I've come to dismantle that. And so we're challenged to follow after Jesus, to face, to, to understand the implications of who he is and what he's accomplished by doing the hard work of trying to be like him. So the question then is, what does it look like for us to do that? Well, in verse 44, Jesus makes it very simple. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus invites us to, to love and bless people and to pray for them even when they go against us. I think one of the starting points for any one of us as we consider someone our enemy is to pray for them. There's probably someone right now that you have issues with and, and maybe you've had issues with them for decades. Maybe it's something that goes back to childhood or, or to a place or city that you lived long ago. Maybe it goes back to, to dealing with a family member, a parent, a sibling, a, a cousin, an aunt. Maybe it goes way, way back like that and you have this hardness because you've carried that anger for so long. One of the first places to go is to begin to pray for yourself and pray for that individual. As we pray, what we are inviting the Holy Spirit to do is to break down and peel away the layers of hardness that have built up in our heart. And we're inviting God to, us, to allow us to see that person in the way that he sees them. God came for his love for the world, which includes everyone who lives within it. As we seek to pray for our enemy, I think God does a transformative work in our lives and it can genuinely change us. If that person doesn't know Jesus, there's something powerful about identifying our place at the foot of the cross and their place and need for what happened on the cross. And, and we go from standing across a divide or across a hurt to standing side by side in front of the God of the universe. Maybe they already know Jesus. 
but there's still a divide there. I think there's an opportunity to get to know the heart of God more when we pray that we would be able to align instead of divide. It's through the avenue of prayer that I believe we are able to tear down the concept of enemies and division. It's through prayer that something incredible happens. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who lived and, and, and was a, a believer through the history of Nazi Germany, wrote this when he talked about the power of prayer. He said, the disciple, the follower of Jesus, can now perceive that even his enemy is the object of God's love and that he stands like himself beneath the cross of Christ. Imagine being someone who stood against the atrocities of Nazi Germany and learned to see them through God's eyes and see himself through God's eyes as people who are in need of a loving Savior. It powerfully transformed Bonhoeffer's life, and it has the power still to this day to transform our lives and the lives of those who we consider enemies. But as we pray, Jesus doesn't invite us to just stay there. He invites us to love. Jesus says, I want you to love your enemies. And he uses this, this action word, this, this, this need to compel ourselves forward, that it's not just about word and thought, but it's also about action. Elsewhere in Scripture, like in Romans 12, 20, we read that if our enemy has a need, we are actually called to come and meet it. Romans 12, 20 says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. And in doing this, you will heap burning coals on their head. There's nothing more powerful and shocking as a testimony to who God is and what he can accomplish than us to love those who stand across the divide. There's nothing that is more compelling to the outside world than for us to stand up and say, this is what God has done for me and so now I will do it for others. Now, this is a hard thing for us to consider. And so what I want to do is share with you a little bit of an interview that I had with someone from our church earlier this week. Earlier this week, I sat down over Zoom with Roy Comrie, who, if you know Roy, he's an incredible man with an incredible story of learning to love his enemy. Let's take a listen to the Roy's story of what it looks like to love your enemy. My story did not start off with loving my enemy. I actually started off hating him mm. uh, because I sat behind him in his first trial. Uh, he was on trial for the murder, rape and murder of my sister, Sheila. And, um, and he, uh, he has a bull neck and I was sitting behind him and I have to admit, that I wanted to strangle him rather than love him. Um, so it's not a story of <laughs> any, any uh, great love coming from me at that particular time. I, I'm, I own my humanity, and uh, I love my sister, and we were friends all, all of our lives, and uh, so it was a very, very, very painful thing that he did.
when I had the privilege of seeing him come to Christ and of seeing his life just turn right around. And if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation and all things are passed away and all things have become new. And when I was able to hear his part of the story and he told me everything and, uh, uh, and, and he wept as he told me, he said, if only I had known Jesus, I would never have entered into this life of um, crime. And uh, he said, but now I know him and I will serve him for the rest of my life. And he is, and he's following right through on, on what he said he would. Um, it was a tough journey, um, but it was well worth going through it. And I am so glad that I had Pastor Nguenya beside me uh, because uh, he understood a lot of the equation much more deeply than I did. Mm -hmm. uh, I was too personally involved, uh, you know, with the loss. And uh, so Pastor Nguenya was really my teacher. And um, I learned just one thing after another from this mature man of God. I think the basis of ministry uh, is identification. Um, you know, we need to be totally identified with the Lord and we need to be totally identified with the people that we're seeking to reach. You need to see yourself as the enemy of God. You know, I, I was an enemy. I was an atrocious enemy of God. And um, I, I said the worst things about God and Jesus. And, uh, and then I, I fell in love with him. And it's, it's a most amazing thing just to see enemies and then to see Christ and what he can do in the life of that enemy and then how he can mobilize them. And I, I would have to say that I have to just always come back to him because I could never do it in the life of even one person, but he can do it again and again and again if you hand that person over to the Lord and say, you, Lord, you do it. Because when you do it, it goes on. You know, it goes on being done and it gets multiplied. And you can speak into us and just say, hey, that here, here's one thing. I want you to know about our heavenly father. There's one thing I want you to know about Jesus. There's one thing I want you to know about the Holy spirit as you walk through what it looks like to learn to love others. What's the one thing you hope that our church family would know about that good and perfect God that you love to serve. 
Um, the one thing that I would want everybody to know is that if you think you want to know him and to love him, he thinks millions of times more deeply that he wants to love you and know you and communicate with you and to give you a burden. And that burden would be so that he can enable you to share that above everything else, people can learn to relate. Mm. Relate, relate, relate. And in a hard world of opposition, the enemy, and in the joyful word of, of, of fellow believers, you know, who are together. So I, I think that would be my prayer for, you know, for everybody that we would learn to relate to our God, learn to pray, learn to listen, learn to obey, and, um, and then have the, the weight on you of reaching out. Thank you, Roy, for being willing to, to share your story with us. And church, isn't that just an incredible thing? I mean, I can't imagine the pain and anger that Roy must have felt through what happened with his sister. But for him to come to this place where he surrendered his anger, his hatred of Chris to God, and, and learned to, to walk alongside of him and to meet him in his need and, and, and talk to him and speak his language and, and, and to connect with his sister's murderer in such a way is just a powerful example because look at what happened. Through Roy's love of Chris... Chris came to know Jesus, and in turn, there has been healing as Chris shares his story, as Roy shares his story, where hundreds of prisoners in South Africa have come to understand how, how them being enemies, how their awful histories need to be broken down, how there needs to be forgiveness, but there can, that can be done through the power of Jesus. You know, as I consider all of this, as I consider this invitation of Jesus to experience who he is, for us to display what it looks like to, to live counterculturally in the kingdom, I don't think there's been a better time in the last 50 years of history as this moment right now to display this teaching of Jesus. I think our opportunity to shine the light of God's kingdom, it's ripe. The moment is now as we are so divided, as we continue to divide into different camps and factions, as neighbors fight over the most insignificant of issues. I think there's an opportunity not for us, for us to not say, I stand against you, but instead I'm going to stand beside you at the foot of the cross. I'm going to love you even though we stand far apart because of what God has done for me. Church, we have an opportunity for deep, deep wounds to be healed by acting in the way that Jesus calls us to. Now I know for some though that as we consider those wounds, we also look within ourselves and we say, man, but I've got deep, deep wounds. I have places that I 
need healing. And, and this message isn't to negate that. This message isn't to, to deny the, the real hurt that we've experienced. It's not to say, hey, you know what, just because someone did something to you, you just forget about that. No, it's not about, it's not about forgetting. It's, it's not even about leaning into that relationship and, and necessarily moving back in with that person or trusting that person in every situation. No, that's not what we're inviting you to do. We're inviting you instead to live in the way of Jesus and to say there is this the hurt that's happened in my past, but there also is this God who has brought this healing to me, and I'm going to choose to identify with him instead of the person who has hurt me. If you're experiencing hurt, if you have been wounded, I encourage you, come to Jesus for the forgiveness that needs to happen spiritually. Seek counseling for the, 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 the need of healing mentally and emotionally. Seek God's word for wisdom for how to move next. Don't neglect any of those things, but as you wrestle with those things, also lean into the understanding that as we follow in the way of Jesus, that we have an opportunity to rest and trust in him, that we have an opportunity to experience only the healing that he can provide. As we consider our enemies today, let us never forget that we were once an enemy of God and that God invites us to turn our enemies into friends of him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I thank you for your word. God, it's a challenge. Lord God, I know for, for me it's a challenge. There's, there's a lot of people, a lot of causes, a lot of places where it's easy for me to get angry, Lord. It's easy for me to, to see the brokenness, the, 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 the injustice, the power imbalances, the, the abuse, Lord God, it's so easy for, for me to, 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 to rise up and want to retaliate against that. God, there's people who even I've experienced who, 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 have, who have hurt me, and it's easier to, to look at them and hold things against them than it is to embrace your teaching. But Lord God, would you soften my heart? God, would you soften the hearts of everyone in our church towards those who have hurt us, towards those who are across the divide on different issues? Lord God, would we, would we not do that just because we, we want to uh, follow a, a list of right and wrong? Not because we're, we're ignorant to what's happened in the past, but Lord God, because we want to experience more of you. God, we want to understand what your heart was for us what your heart is for other people lord god i pray that we would be able to embrace that and see that that victory of of being able to see people through your eyes to know you better is far greater than 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 what we hold on to and allow to to take root in our life with our our, our hate and our anger but Lord God, I also know that within our church family, there's people with deep, deep wounds. God, I know that there has been people who have been hurt by incredibly awful and evil people, terrible situations that, that have come that people never deserved. And Lord God, I pray that you would bring healing in their lives. Lord, for those who need to, to, 
experience healings on a spiritual level, Lord God, I pray that they would come to know you, Lord God, that they would see the good that comes from you, Lord God. I know that there's been people who have been hurt by the church, and Lord God, I pray that they would see you and not the broken mess of the church that they've experienced, but they would know that you are so much greater than the people that take place, that take part in this place. Lord God, for those who have, who have deep wounds emotionally mentally relationally lord god i pray that they would find healing for, for the healing that you can provide supernaturally lord god we invite that for the healing that that they can have from from meeting with good godly counselors who want to walk alongside them and and show them the healing that they can have lord god i pray that they would experience that but lord over all this world this broken broken world with so much division that's learning to embrace enemies and hate. Lord God, I pray that you'd bring healing. Lord God, will we see divides bridged. Lord God, will we see people who are torn apart coming together. Lord God, we know that everything won't be redeemed until you return. But Lord God, we pray for more and more redemption through your people seeking your love and to live it out on their own as well. So God, I thank you for what you're going to do. And right now, I just pray for more of your kingdom to come, more of your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we pray for the fulfillment of all these things in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.